This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raff. How's it going, Johnny? Hey, Dan. Uh, another locked down weekend and uh, some more interesting results in the footy. Uh, yeah, nothing really else to talk about, I guess. That's all we could do <laughs> on the weekends, lately. Yeah, ho- hopefully it's the last weekend of the hard lockdown, but sure, we'll come out of it pretty slowly. Oh, yeah. So what caught your eye over the weekend then? Um, Tim Kelly. Um, he's been he's had some mixed form this year. Um, but I thought he played a really good game for the Eagles against the Saints on Saturday. Um, he had twenty six disposals and a goal. But uh, I'm not sure if he's got a chance to see his second quarter. Dan, I think this is the best quarter by any midfielder this year. He had thirteen disposals, five inside fifties, three clearances, two goal assists and a goal. And it was a real throwback to that that running power that he had at Geelong. So, yeah, it was a pleasure to watch. Yeah, no, he was the, the up and running again. Uh, just those dashing runs through the middle. It was great. Well, I guess that kind of explains how they got on top of St Kilda then in that period of the game if he was on fire. <laughs> Might make him a little bit more of a challenge for Melbourne whenever it is that that game's going to be played. I think it's not meant to be this weekend, but the weekend after. But things seem to change. Sometimes, at the moment. (laughs) All right. So for today's episode, we've got uh, some questions that matter, and then we're going to be building up towards the game of the round. And of course, this would have to be the top of the table clash, Melbourne versus the Western Bulldogs. So we've got a few things to get through before we get to that one, though. So let's start with this first topic here. So it really seems like the race for the top four is well and truly on now. And it seems to be a race of six. So we've got Brisbane and Sydney that are currently outside that top four, but making a real beeline for the top four. And it seems like they're going to do everything they can to try and push the teams that are currently in that top four, which is currently, as it stands, Western Bulldogs, Geelong, Melbourne and Port in that order. So the question I have is, could a team that reaches 16 wins miss out on the top four, Johnny? What do you reckon? It looks very possible. I mean, there's just such a log jam up that end of the ladder now. And um, yeah, just looking at the ladder, it it does look possible. I mean, you could have a situation where if one of those teams maybe suffers a bit of a, you know, a slightly bigger than normal defeat, their percentage might just not be good enough. And looking at clubs like Port and Brisbane and Sydney, um, I think the draw definitely helps Melbourne, but um, yeah, I think it is possible. It's definitely possible. To give a little bit more context here, Brisbane and Sydney need to win their last four games to reach 16 wins, so they're both on 12 wins at the moment, but they've got very winnable games. Probably the most challenging out of those games is this week for Sydney against St Kilda at Marvel. Other than that, they'll look very winnable on paper. Port needs to win three of their four to get to 16 wins. And the fourth, that maybe the hardest one there, is uh, against the Bulldogs as an away game. And Melbourne also needs three out of four mm. to actually get to 16 and a half wins. And uh, they're likely to probably, well, they're likely to have the lowest, well, the percentage won't matter now because they got the draw. But if they don't make it to 16 and a half, they may be finishing below a couple of those teams. So, yeah, I guess that was a big takeaway out of the Melbourne game. We'll talk about it later. Spoiler alert, Melbourne loses. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't find a way to get to 16 wins, then uh, it's very possible that they will drop out of the top four. It's nervy times. And um, you sort of just want to know right now what's going to happen, but we unfortunately have, we'll have to wait. I've been surprised how little I've heard about this in the media. Everyone still seems pretty positive about Melbourne and no one's even mentioned the chance that they could drop out but just on paper it looks very possible it looks like it's going to come down to the West Coast game away if Melbourne can't win that they're odds on to drop out of the top four I would say yeah I think you're on the money with this Dan I think um not many people in the media have probably looked ahead at the schedule as much as Melbourne fans and with as much emotion as Melbourne fans. so uh, It's a dangerous thing to do, but I think looking at the soft draws that Brisbane 
and mm. uh, Sydney have, and even to a lesser extent, Port. They're all pretty soft draws, and we know there's no givens in football, but these guys have been beating up on the teams they're meant to beat all year, so I don't think it's that much of a stretch to no. say that Melbourne needs three wins here. No, I don't think it is either, and um, as you said, they did take care of the teams that were you know, meant to be taken care of, and um, yeah, it, it's one of those things where coming into the season, you may look at that and say, well, the top four teams usually do that with regular consistency. Um, so, yeah, it's look, there's a lot to play out, even with just four games. There's plenty of twists and turns, and the upsets can happen in the other games too, but it is definitely not beyond the realms of possibility for Melbourne to drop out of the top four. So could have a case if most of the results go to plan, you'd have Bulldogs and Geelong top two on 18 wins, and then from... I think third all the way down to sixth would all have 16 wins or depending on, uh, yeah, depend and Melbourne, depending on whether they get to 16 and a half or 15 and a half, they'd either be at the top or the bottom of that bracket. Yep. So that one game is going to make a massive difference if uh, some of these teams can hold their form. Yeah. And, and if we do drop one of these, Gold Coast, Adelaide, West Coast, whatever, it's, yeah, it's going to be very painful, very painful. Yeah, I think in such an even year as this has proven to be, the difference between finishing top four and not is going to be huge. And as well as that, I think this whole thing of the top six we're talking about is kind of exacerbated by the fact that the top six are pretty clearly above the other teams. So it doesn't seem to have been that hard for some of these teams to accrue a lot of wins. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and. Yeah, there's no doubt the flag. Well, it's been there's been no doubt for a while that the flag's coming from that top six. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like a compounding effect. There, you know, the winds just build up over yeah the rest. All right, let's look at the lower part of the eight now. So, West Coast seemed to have done what they needed to do to start to cement seventh spot. They had a good win over St Kilda on the weekend, as you're alluding to in what caught your eye there. Although it was pretty narrow in the end, but yep. they got the job done. So I guess really the question becomes now, who finishes eighth? It seems to be very open for that last spot. GWS at least temporarily jumps back inside the eight with a good win over Essendon. I think that was at Marvel Stadium, so that was a really good win for them. But both Essendon and GWS have very tough runs from here. And I guess on paper maybe Richmond, but they've only won one of the last six games. So yeah. Any any thoughts on this, Johnny? It seems oh. like it could be any one of these sort of four or five teams, really. Yeah, this is a coin flip. Well, probably not even a coin flip because uh, you can't flip a coin for three teams. <laughs> but uh, it's it's literally Dice anyone's roll. guess. I think uh, yeah, GWS is the flavour for this week. But um, I, I still I don't think all is lost for us, and I think they can definitely um, you know bind together now after something like this. I, I think it's better to have a lot if you're having a run in for the making the eight, it's better to have a loss, I think, four weeks out like this than, say, two weeks out. I think it just gives you that chance to regroup a bit and and you know what's in front of you. Where the, yeah, I, that's just my opinion. But um, GWS, I'm still not totally sold. I think they're, you know, we know that they're a great side when they're up and running, but um, they've been the tease of the year for me, definitely. So if you had to put your money on someone at the moment, you'd still go Essendon? I think I'd still just have it with Essendon. I think the big one for them is now when they play the Swans. But I think that's in Melbourne. Um, and it's definitely winnable. I mean, yeah. Yeah, they, if they get that one, then... I think, yeah, if they won that one, they'd be favourites to make it. But I guess that's a pretty big F with it, how big, how well St. Kilda, uh, Sydney has been playing recently. Um, but on the Giants' side, they've still got Port. And... Um, I think at this stage that could go either way. Um, so yeah, there's still a few twists and turns. They've got Geelong as well. Um, so it's not an easy draw for the Giants. But um, yeah, look, at it's still anyone's guess. I would still, if I had to pick right now, I'd still say isn't it? Okay, interesting. All right, let's move on to the next question then. So this one is regarding Brisbane. So they seem to have found a bit of form on the weekend. Still probably not entirely convincing, especially after being well down in that first half against Gold Coast in the Q Clash. They're actually trailing by 27 points at half time, and I think they'd only scored about 30 points. But thereafter, 13 goals to one. 
think Gold Coast perhaps uh, saw the finish line and got a bit of stage fright maybe and Brisbane took full advantage. So, yeah, I think you raised this one, Johnny. Can we trust Joe Danahoy to perform in a final? What do you reckon? Yeah, I've still got my doubts. And I think he's been good in the last few weeks. Um, he's, I think he's definitely stepped up since Hipwood went down. But there's still those moments. There's still those 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 big moments where I feel like he's got the chance to kick a goal and something silly happens. There was, I think there, it was either a dribbler or a, a soccer kick that he did that missed and it was missed it pretty badly. He just doesn't quite have that knack of the simple option in that pressure moment. And um, yeah, I just I'd like to just see a little bit more reliability from him as a as a key post forward going and um going down the stretch. And yeah, I, I still think there's some question marks with him, and especially come finals. So maybe to you, he's not the sort of player who you can rely on to you know kick three or four in a final for you and no. be the difference. No, not at this point. Um, I definitely think that you know on his day he could be, but. Uh, there's, you know, I can definitely see him being very quiet in the final as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be tough for Brisbane without Hitwood. I think a lot of people mm. are now thinking that it's more likely than not that, you know, they're going to struggle in the finals in particular. But yeah, still light at the end of the tunnel and they're still there. So that's half the battle, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... Got to give yourself a chance. Exactly, exactly. You can only win it if you... You can, well, you can only win the lottery if you buy a ticket. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, that, that was, yeah, that's, I just think that he's 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 been good, but there's those moments. There's those moments. What about being that far down against Gold Coast? What do you think that says about Brisbane, or do you think it's just they took a while to get going? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It's kind of like, um, is it, disappointing that they were that far behind or is it impressive that they got themselves back into the match well it's definitely impressive that they got back uh it sounded like chris fagan just had some stern words to him and said you guys are better than this come on this is ridiculous i think it's very interesting to it's very interesting that they found themselves in that position at this point of the season um that's when those bad habits i think start to come in a bit and um you know, you're leaving the work rate to some of the others, and I, I'm not quite sure how to how to read it. Maybe, maybe they've got it in the back of their mind that finals are in the corner and it's conserving energy or something. I'm, I'm not sure, but I didn't see it as a great win. I was, as we said, they got they did what they had to do, but I'm not sure if it was a super impressive win. Yeah, I don't think Gold Coast put up much of a fight in that second half. Even no. when the game was quite close, they were making some mistakes. So, yeah, I guess the jury's still out on Brisbane a bit. Look, 13 goals to one after half time is very impressive. But as you said, Gold Coast really didn't put up a whimper. They're continuing to struggle without a Ruckman, that's for sure. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see uh, who's Brisbane got next week. It is the Hawks. Yeah, yeah. that's the Gabba as well, I'm pretty sure, I right? I think Tasmania. Okay, well, that's that's no gimme, so. No. Hmm, so, interesting. Yeah, look, you can only beat who's in front of you, but yeah, uh, I, yeah, it was just a job. It was a pass mark for me, that game. Yeah, all right. So, Collingwood went down to Port Adelaide at Marble Stadium by 28 points on Friday night, and it was actually Pendlebury who suffered a leg fracture. So, that's the end of his season. And perhaps the last game is Collingwood captain as well. So he's uh, getting up there in the years now, still playing good football. But pose the question to you, Johnny. Who do you think will be the next Collingwood captain and possibly the permanent replacement for Pendlebury going forward? Yeah, well, I think it's definitely worth considering Brody Grundy um, and possibly next year. I think that he'll have the similar effect that Max Gorn has on Melbourne. I think he's he's one of those guys who influences enough as a ruckman with, you know, around the ground, getting possessions, and he can be a good leader. He can lead by example. Um, so he would be my pick. I'd definitely consider someone like Jeremy Howe as well. Uh, I think he's a, you know, a natural leader, and he's one of the um, most, imp- from what I hear, one of the most influential voices in the, in the locker room. But... Um, 
I'd be going with Grundy, and I would actually make him captain next year, personally. Yeah. Interesting. So do you think that would help his form, or it would be just more of a thing to sort of bind the team together because he's a good leader? Yeah, I think it would... Uh, uh, Gr- Grundy? Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I think it would be. I think it'd be a good sort of next step for him to, to take that mantle on. Um, but also, it's time to... I think it's just time to bring in the new brigade of leaders at Collingwood. I think, uh, you know, Pendlebury's been fantastic and, you know, he still can be for a few more years. Uh, but he's been captain for a while and, you know, he sort of goes back to the early Buckley days, really. And did, did Buckley make him captain or Malthouse? I can't even remember. I'm pretty sure it would have been Malthouse. Although, I guess Maxwell was captain in that time, so maybe it actually wasn't until Buckley Might got have been when Buckley... They did the switch. Yeah, and, and look, he's been great, but... I th- I think that Collingwood's in a period where they need to get a bit of sweeping change across all levels, and I think maybe it would be a good time to give to give someone else the reins. Yeah, I reckon there's a good argument to have there about the fact that they could, you know, align this change with bringing in a new coach. Be interesting to see who ends up landing that job. Mm. Don't know who's got the inside running. I think they interviewed a couple of people this week, including. Voss and Kingsley, was it? Yeah, Adam Kingsley, yeah. Yeah. So uh, still a bit to play out there. Mm. All right, so the last question that matter matters before we get into match of the round is why can't Melbourne score? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just a few numbers. So since round 13, which was the game against Collingwood, uh, they've averaged just 69 points. And before that point, the first 12 games the average score was in the 90s. I think it was 96. So that's more than a four-goal drop-off in that time. So just before I hand it over to you, Johnny, I just wanted to add one extra thing to this. And I think we have talked about this a little bit before, but I think Tom McDonald's probably fast becoming Melbourne's most important player, especially from a scoreboard perspective. Every game where he has performed well this season, Melbourne has done very well. Uh, to underline that, I got a couple of stats. The first 12 rounds, he kicked 23 goals, uh, 1.9 goals per game, and a lot of those were quite high possession games. He's a really good connector. In the last six games, he's only kicked six goals, obviously one goal per game during that time, and no multiple goal games. Last point on TMAC, all our best wins, other than the Geelong game, so Richmond, Western Bulldogs, Brisbane, who kicked multiple goals? T-Mac, three mm. goals in each of those games. So, yeah, few things for you to pick apart there, Johnny. <laughs> Why can't Melbourne score? <laughs> well, first of all, yeah, I think Tom McDonald is one of the most important players for Melbourne. It, you'd love to have two of them, <laughs> in all honesty. You'd love to have, I reckon, a high half-forward one that leads up the ground and then one that stays at home. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, I'm not sure what the, what the breakdown is between shots in general play and set shots that we're getting, but uh, you have to start with the set shots. So uh, the set shots just aren't good enough at the moment in terms of that. There's just so many that are nowhere near it. We're not unlucky or anything. We're not hitting the post that much. There's just some that are just blazing away completely, getting out on the full, not making the distance. And then you've got Ben Brown, who with his first set shot of the game, I think it was what 40 meters out on a slight angle. Uh, he, he just, feel like he uh he just kicked the skin off it <laughs> like it and the thing I'm wondering here is who is our goal kicking coach <laughs> <laughs> um because I just wonder these set shot issues are they're continuing to happen and uh, like someone yeah, here's a good example uh Brian Taylor actually pointed out in the game and I think uh, Richo uh, agreed um Benny Brown is moving the ball around a lot in his run-up mm, at the moment, yeah. and he never used to do that. Our goal-kicking coach should be watching this vision, and that should be the first thing that he addressed this week in Ben's routine. It's, you know, hey, mate, you yeah. know, that's happening. We've got to, you know, take a 50-set shots this week and really nail it down this routine because as many people have said, many of the experts have said, if there's five or six things part of a set-shot routine and one of them is wrong, the whole thing just is, is useless. Um, I think his goal kicking action actually looks pretty good. I think 
is uh, where he's struggling, as you alluded to, is the ball drop. He's not getting it down straight, mm. and that's affecting the accuracy. He had one horrible one that went out on the full, but the couple he did kick late, the ball drop was good, and they went straight through. So, And I totally yeah, agree. I, um, hopefully that is uh, what they can get in his ear about. Yeah. I, to- I totally agree. I didn't think there was a lot wrong with his... Um, with his uh, technique at all, but um, it can just be that one little thing. And, and it was just, yeah, it wasn't quite working out. I'm not sure, not 100%, but it felt like it was something to do with that ball drop and what was mm. happening before it. The last one he did, he flushed it, and you know that's what he's capable of. Yeah, a couple of things from me on this one. They're getting a lot more set shots, which I think, as you've alluded to there, doesn't necessarily suit Melbourne. So... They're not getting anywhere near as many points from turnover, so they're not being mm. able to turn it over as much in their forward half, not getting those quick open entries, getting less of those goals out the back as well. And both of those things, I think you can draw back to the fact that they're just not putting on as much pressure. The intensity around the ball has dropped off in the last six weeks. So time will tell whether they can get that back. But I think, as we've said many times throughout the year, we both agree that that's kind of Melbourne's point of difference and what makes everything work. So if they don't have that, it's a flow-on effect. Yep. They can't, if they don't have the pressure and intensity, the defence is vulnerable. They don't get their opportunities to score in the same way. They don't turn it over. They don't get the open looks. So surely the coaches know all this. Yeah, so yeah. it shouldn't be news to anyone, <laughs> but it, it's kind of just blatantly obvious that, yeah, like that was one thing. We'll get into this in the game on the ground. Uh, I didn't think Melbourne's pressure was up to scratch, even in the game against the Bulldogs, and I haven't really heard anyone mention that. Like, if you compare that game to the game earlier in the season, mm. it's a world of difference. They managed to find a way to hang in the game, but yeah, their pressure was not there in the same way. I thought it was. Uh, I thought for the most part, it was maybe just adequate. Um, but yeah, it was nothing but, but that's on that not first what game. they had, right? There was nothing on that first game. There's no. a lot of um, the Bulldogs were, were able to spread out the wide sides a lot easier. Um, they were able to get a lot of easy ball. Um, but I, I thought, um, if it was, we were pretty, we were pretty decent. I thought we were, you know, we were trying, but I think it, mm. what you're zeroing in on is that pressure when we haven't got the ball. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't yeah. really there. That definitely wasn't there, and especially in the forward line. Um, the thing that I was thinking about today actually is early in the season, as you mentioned before, a lot of our goals came from that whole chaos ball in the 50 and pinging around like pinball and all of a sudden, you know, Cozzy Pickett's like come up with the ball and he's just snapped one or Spargo's come in and just these little opportunist sort of moments and yeah, out the back, things like that. Um, there's just, there's not quite as many opportunities there. I think, I still think there were a few and we were wasteful with them, but I'm starting to think now that it's not about Melbourne's cutting edge in the forward line. It's about making more of those opportunities. <laughs> it's, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, they had, they had four chances. They, they just should have kicked straighter. Maybe that's not what it's about. Maybe it's, well, we need to get, it's like the money ball approach. We need to get 10 chances. You know, we need to get yeah. more. Like, yeah. I think even when Melbourne was dominant earlier in the season, often they were wasteful maybe not as wasteful as they've been in the last six weeks but they're never going to be the most accurate team no so that just means you need to find different ways of getting better looks at goal and that you know is based on being able to turn it over in dangerous positions yeah. and getting much easier looks at goal yeah and that comes back to the pressure obviously yeah yeah absolutely all right well we've had our little <laughs> melbourne rant and now we're going to do the game Match of the round. Yes. <laughs> so, as we alluded to earlier, this was 1v2. Melbourne was top of the ladder coming into the round. Bulldogs second. Uh, so, this game was actually played at the MCG on Saturday night. Once again, in front of no one, just like earlier in the season, because there was a lockdown on then as well. Uh, yeah. So, wh- how are you feeling going into this game, Johnny? What were you thinking? Uh I was pretty nervous, to be honest. Um, like, I definitely thought if we played our games plan the way we no, we can, and if we applied that pressure, I thought we could definitely get the job done. Uh, but I just wasn't totally convinced that we would do that. I thought we'd—I actually kind of felt like we might be a 
just that 5% short of what we needed. I'm not quite sure why. Mm. Um, I thought the rain would suit us, but it actually looked like it did the opposite. Um, I felt like uh, they usually say the rain's a good equaliser, but in this case, and in a lot of cases, it actually makes the cream rise to the top and the Bulldogs, um, their skills shone through. So, yeah, I, absolutely did. I was quite, I was a bit nervous, to be honest. Yeah, I, I wanted to see us run them and give them a good game, but uh, I didn't think it was going to be easy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking going into this, Melbourne were kind of due to lose one of these yeah. games. What was their record against top eight sides before this? Was it seven and zero? Yeah, yeah it eight was. and zero, something like that. So, like, you can only get away with this for so long by, you know, beating up on the top eight sides and then dropping some games you meant to win. It's just not going to no. <laughs> work for the whole season. No, so. I never bought into that narrative of, um, oh, but, you know, it doesn't matter. We're not playing a bad team in the finals. We're not playing a bad team this week. Uh, you know, we're, play- we're good against the good teams. Nah, they're good teams for a reason. And eventually, yeah, we'll, we can't keep relying on these games to get up and, and mm. provide a, a, a good performance, you know. I still yeah. quite like the matchup potential matchups for Melbourne in the finals, provided they can get into a decent position. Oh, but yeah, me too. Like, it, it's all predicated on the fact that they can reproduce some of that form they had earlier in the season. And yeah, yeah. time will tell. Yeah, it would have to be a reset, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. All right, let's jump into the game. So, as you alluded to, Johnny, the first quarter was greeted with driving rain. So, you could see it on the telecast, it was pelting rain pretty much the whole time. Uh, so that did make things a bit different. So the first goal of the game actually came from Daniel, who was able to shark a uh, Gorn hit out, and uh, he handed off to Bont, who was really all by himself, yep. about 15, 20 metres out from goal, uh, yep. easily snapped it through on the left. From, like. Yeah, so a bit of a uh, sign of things to come, unfortunately. Petrarca actually answered up the other end, though, so he went one better when Alex Neil Bullen got a kick in. Petrarca managed to control the ball on the ground, uh, strong fend-off, and then similarly put it through on the left. It was actually Petrarca's non-dominant side, though, so that was a great goal from track there. Yeah, I, I liked this because it was almost <laughs> the identical goal to Bonts, and it was just the... Uh, it- you felt like it was a big top of the table game with the two best players in the league. It's like, oh, here we go. It's going to be a bit of a one-on-one. Yeah. So early on, it really did look like the Bulldogs were handling the conditions better. They're cleaner with ball in hand, and they find they seem to be finding space much more easily as well. Melbourne, on the other hand, were quite fumbly and making everything look hard. They did still have some pretty good chances in this quarter, though. They they did kick the one goal and uh, two set shot misses to Brown, both very gettable, and also one where the play kind of just broke open for them and Cozzy received it about 30 out. I think he thought he was under more pressure than he was and kind of just scrubbed the kick and, uh, yeah, went through for a point, unfortunately. So I think it was one four ten. what did the Bulldogs kick? Three two twenty yep. or something along those lines. Yeah, so uh, pretty much... Identical scoring shots, so it was identical scoring shots, but uh, the Bulldogs taking that 10-point lead into quarter time with some uh, good accuracy there. So, yeah, it was a bit wasteful. It was actually, yeah. Yeah, so for the Bulldogs goals, it was actually McRae spotting up Bruce um, and he managed to nail the set shot kick there. And they also got another stoppage goal. This one was quite fortuitous. Mm. So English just grabbed it out of the ruck near the boundary on the 50 and just put it on the boot and it floated through. So a little bit fortuitous, but I guess you make your own luck. Yeah, there was, I think in that early stage of that quarter, there was definitely a breeze pushing towards that end. So I think it got caught up in that a bit. And yeah, yeah, you, you do make your own luck, but they took the most, they made the most of them. So how did you see this first quarter Johnny oh it was definitely an edge to the dogs and it was very familiar it was kind of like Melbourne definitely need to take chances early I think just to set the tone a bit um they don't necessarily need to be in front but they've got to make the most of their chances just to get that confidence up I feel and 
I, I just, yeah, I kind of feel like when we miss a few of those gettable ones, I feel like the mindset flattens a bit quicker each time. Hmm. And I think yep. that might have been what definitely what happened with Brown. All right, let's jump into the second quarter. So early set shot goals to Norton and Fritch cancelled each other out before a sustained period of control by Melbourne. Unfortunately, during this period of control, which lasted almost the entire quarter after these goals, mm. they could only get two points on the board. So I think one of these was Fritch uh, sort of kneeing it in the square. So yep. people would say he should have put that through, but I guess that was kind of a little bit fortuitous that it dropped for him in that way anyway. But yeah, they just really didn't look likely to score, no. even though they had all the play. It did feel like the the little rubs of the green were going the Bulldogs' way with some of these these things, uh, like English's goal in the first quarter. But Fritsch, it would have been awesome at that moment if he, if we could have nailed that one. But uh, yeah, it wasn't a great bounce. It just it just wasn't quite going our way. Um, and yeah, it, I didn't realize that. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize that it was that long actually. Yeah, yeah, it was quite a while. I think they had about. 75% of the play during this period. So just really couldn't get much happening. There's a lot of stoppages. Yeah, they just, the little half chances they did get, they really couldn't make much out of them at all. That uh, time in possession in the forward 50 stat, was that like 70% Bulldogs? That's, that's the stat that we want to have <laughs> most of the time, yeah. <laughs> so right at the end of the quarter, the Bulldogs got a bit going back their way. So was actually another Ford 50 stoppage that broke the deadlock and uh, Brayshaw got caught in a pretty heavy tackle. He didn't seem to have prior opportunity, but despite that, he got paid holding the ball when the ball missed his foot and Hannon managed to kick the goal there. How did you see that decision, Johnny? Was that a fair decision? Um, I actually thought that was a bit harsh. Uh, he'd pretty was he? I think he was in the air when he got the ball as well and he barely had any time and then found himself wrapped up in a tackle. It was a great tackle, but yeah, look. He tried to get the kick. I feel like they're pretty lenient with that now. So to me, that was probably the wrong call. Yeah, look, yeah. I mean, there were probably worse ones in the game, but I think that was the wrong call. And a short time later, Melbourne again failed to clear from the back line. So this was a real pattern all night. They're making really hard work once uh, the Bulldogs got it in deep, even when Melbourne had a lot of numbers around the ball, often there was a lot of double grabbing, uh, just not being clean at all. And it was really dangerous to be doing this so deep in the defence. So this time uh, they paid dearly when uh, Libba got the ball out to Bailey Smith, who from about 45 uh, got a few steps running at pace and kicked the long goal just on the stroke of halftime. And yeah, that one, that one hurt. <laughs> that one definitely <laughs> After hurt. After having so much of the play. That one. And then they just go bang, bang. Oh, that one definitely hurt. I think um, I would have taken a 15 point deficit going into halftime, but for some reason that extra goal just made it that much more painful. And, uh, and that's something that we've said before, those late, those later stages before the half, or before th the third quarter, I always just find those, it's like the red time, it's really important, and yeah, it just, it can really decide the game sometimes. Kind of like, it's almost surprising that Melbourne were in this game as much as they were with how little they took their chances in this first half, and how easy <laughs> comparatively they made it for the Bulldogs once they could get it in deep and force a stoppage in their forward line like I don't know it's, it just feels like Melbourne shot themselves in the foot so many times in this first half in particular yeah I wouldn't have been surprised if we were five goals down six goals down at halftime yeah all right let's move on so Melbourne actually started the second half with an absolute bang so they got two goals in a minute and they'd only managed two goals in the whole of the first half. So both centre bounce goals. The first one with T-Mac marking after a great centre clearance from Oliver and he went back and nailed that set shot. And the very next centre clearance, it was Max grabbing it out of the ruck and a long kick in uh, 
got sort of out the back a little bit, Fritsch and Viney tracking it. Eventually, Fritsch managed to gather and snapped it through on the left, easy as you like. So, yeah, the halftime deficit was erased in 60 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> they got it less than two goals very quickly. We had the confidence up. I'm pretty sure we started with eight contested possessions to none in that second quarter. I mean, third quarter. Um, yeah, it was, it was great to see. It was great to see. Bulldogs really did uh, steady, though. So yeah. it didn't take long before they got some of those goals back. So Melbourne was still being outworked once the ball hit the ground, especially in that defensive 50, as I've been alluding to earlier. And this led to uh, the ball sort of bobbling around in the Bulldogs' forward line. And eventually, uh, just after so many times that Melbourne weren't able to clear, it dropped the Bulldogs' way and eventually found its way to Bruce, who managed to put it through from about 15 metres out. So yeah. that was one goal back. And then shortly after, uh, it was the Bulldogs finding plenty of space through the midfield, which was quite unusual for Melbourne games we've seen at least through the first half of the year. And using that space, it was uh, Daniel who was able to accept at about 45 out and drain the goal. So yeah, that burst from Melbourne really didn't last too long. Bulldogs got it back out to 20 points. That really hurt. That really hurt because I thought we were getting the head of steam up and they might have had one forward 50 entry after. Actually, I think we did. I think Cosy Pickett was running in and the, um, he just overcooked his kick to T-Mac. And um, if he had that on the money, that was that was a T-Mac goal all day. And I think that... Uh, yeah, I remember that one, yeah. That would have yeah. brought us back, I think, to... well. That would have brought us. Would have been less than that a would kick. Would have been less than a kick. Yeah, so very frustrating that it ended up back at you know that same deficit, but um, they didn't give up. No, absolutely not. So going back the other way, it was actually Viney who received from Petrarca, and he was able to actually spot up Brown on the lead, who finally got one of his set shots online. So it was really good to see Viney spotting up some targets in this game. Uh, he's often. You know, a bit maligned as mm. someone who can't kick very well. But I think when he makes it a real focus just to, you know, lower the eyes, go low, take the easy option, then often he has actually a pretty good kick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. So got one back there. And uh, then it became the Cody Waitman show. So firstly, from a long kick in from out of bounds on the full, uh, he got the perfect sit on Gorn and basically speckied him and ended up sideways. Somehow he just sort of hung there <laughs> yeah. for much longer than he should have. Yeah. It's a great mark. Oh, fantastic mark. He ended up sideways. Yeah, Definitely one of the marks of the year. He wasn't done yet. About a minute later, he was the first one back to the goal square to soccer it through after it got out the back. So great couple of minutes yeah. there for Waitman. Yeah, pretty cheap one to give away, I thought, but... Uh... Yep, he's an opportunist forward, so he knows where the ball's going to land after time. So this trend continued throughout the third. It was a real goal fest. So late goals to Pickett, Norton and Viney saw the lead for the Bulldogs at 14 points at three-quarter time. So all in all, it was a nine-goal third quarter, five to Melbourne and four to the Dogs. It did seem, though, to be quite a big lead in a game such as this and one that was going to be hard to overcome. Yeah, of course. I mean, the goals weren't easy to come by, especially for us. Um, I, I thought for the for the effort we'd put in in that third quarter, we probably deserved to be maybe another goal closer, but it was still some kind of inroads from halftime, and it was still a game. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that was a trend throughout this whole game. Every time Melbourne got any sort of a run on, the Bulldogs were always able to answer. So... Their, whether it was their better players standing up or just, you know, scrapping inside 50. And I think there's two or four of, like, the times we're describing here where it's basically just Melbourne not able to clear, Bulldogs harassing, harassing, and eventually getting someone who's out and they get the goal from that. So, yeah, they weren't they didn't mark it hardly at all going inside 50. I think they might have had three for the whole night. But they were getting a lot of their goals from stoppage. Yeah. I think they scored actually 46 points from stoppage, which must be <laughs> close to the biggest uh, amount all year, I think. I think that's exactly right. I feel, I feel like there was about seven or eight from stoppage. 
Um, but yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it, it's a bit. It's a bit alarming, actually. Uh, yeah, once the ball hitting the deck in the back line seems to be a lot easier to score against Melbourne. But um, yeah, it hasn't been that big of a problem Not, like in other weeks. No. So I don't know. They just didn't look fully switched on to me. I know, like they played a decent game, but they just weren't absolutely dialed in in the way you have to be to beat one of these top teams. I thought, and that showed with you know the fumbliness mm. or just having chances to clear and just not, um, just not beelining the ball like your life depends on it, basically. Yeah, and and some of the free kicks they gave away weren't great. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely the composure not quite there either. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. They weren't they weren't quite in that mindset. All right, let's jump into the last quarter. So it was a really tight opening to this last quarter. It did look like the Bulldogs were relatively happy just to take some time off the clock, and it was hard for either team to generate much. So after about 10 minutes, it was actually Viney doing his best impression of a wrecking ball, going hard near the boundary line to open up a great bit of play. So he managed to get a little bit of space after going in really hard, and he managed to bring it back in board, spotting up Cozzy Pickett in the middle. How good was that play from oh, Viney there? <laughs> fantastic bit of play there. And I think there's – I would really like to see Viney play a little bit more up forward, sort of as a, a negating defensive forward because, yeah, he made that pretty much out of nothing. And it was really good to see. And, yeah, the good spot up there to pick it. Um, yeah, no, it was a great bit of play. And Pickett set shot from directly in front. Probably made it by maybe a ball width. Yep. It was very close. Yeah, he snuck it in. <laughs> but uh, – they all count for six points if they go in. Uh, and a couple of minutes later, it was actually a long entry into Brown who got taken out of the contest and ended up getting a free kick. So from about 40 metres out, bit in from the boundary, he had the set shot. And this was the one we were alluding to earlier where he absolutely flushed yep. it and uh, carried the line pretty easily there. Yeah. Yeah, he was due. <laughs> he was due. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was fired up as well. And yeah. They were, they were coming home with a wet sail. It was a grandstand finish by the looks of it. So that was bringing it back to under a goal, four points. So it all happened pretty quickly in that period after that bit of a stalemate at the start of the quarter. So up the other end, though, the Bulldogs were able to get it deep inside 50. And they were more desperate than Melbourne were, it seemed. And after winning the ball, it was the... Bont, who was able to snap a very important goal on the left. So that was another forward 50 stoppage, uh, almost a carbon copy of the first goal of the game. I even go back about 30 seconds before this, so maybe it was close to a minute, but uh, I think we got an entry after getting within four points. And I, I just remember, I can't remember who it was, if it was um, if it was Bailey Dale or someone who we, um, we pressured and, and got attacked and he sort of scruffed the kick and I thought oh, this is a free hit here. If we can just get a, a scoring shot here, we could end up in front. Um, but it came out too easily, and before you knew it, it was down the other end, and they got that chance. I felt like the game was a bit like that. It was just, even when we were in within four points, I just kind of felt like, yeah, but until we sort of get the lead, that's this is kind of, I still feel like the dogs were in control. Mm, it was a weird game like that. Never quite felt like Melbourne were fully in it, even when it was... Pretty close. No. So Bontepelli delivering at the important moment to give the Bulldogs a break. And from the very next centre clearance, they managed to win that as well. And it was Bontepelli streaming out of the centre, absolutely lacing out Hugo Hagen on the lead. And as we've seen in his couple of early games, he's a very straight set shot. And from about 35, he nailed it and all but ended the game there. Yep. Beautiful. Beautiful bit of play. Nothing more to say. <laughs> <laughs> the bond can get you in about oh, a minute. That was sublime. two goals there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely killed us. And uh, Hannon also got another late goal that was the absolute sealer for the Dogs. They ended up winning by twenty points. So yeah. I wasn't a massive fan of that. Didn't really <laughs> say much at the time, but uh, look, you know, Mitch was Mitch was good at times for Melbourne, especially in that final against Geelong. But uh, 
It actually kind of uh, just bothered me a little bit that he seemed to be so fired up for this game and getting stuck into guys like <laughs> Hibbo and Hunt and that. And, you know, he, he went missing in a lot of games for Melbourne as well. I just kind of, yeah, mm. just didn't, just rubbed me up the wrong way a bit. But good on him. So a few people have been talking about this game, the fact that maybe 20 points was, you know, a larger margin that than the game reflected. Mm. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways you can look at it. It's kind of a weird game in a lot of ways. Quite an entertaining one, but the rain, just the how different it was the first time they played, the different strategies involved. It was just a, kind of a weird game. It's very funny that you mentioned that because that's exactly how I found it in the general free public. Um, you know, I had one person say, oh, that's it for Melbourne. They're done for the year now. It's like they're gone. And I was just kind of like, yeah, we, we, we weren't great. The Bulldogs were, were the better side, but um, I didn't think we were extremely poor or anything. I thought the, we didn't lose it from a lack of effort. And um, they were saying, oh, come on, you know, whatever. And I'm like saying that they were, you know, we missed a lot of set shots and things like that. And yeah, then you had people who thought that um, maybe we should have lost you know, maybe we should have lost by more or whatever. Like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It was, it, it was different. And amongst Melbourne fans as well. Uh, there were people who thought that we were very, weren't great. And there were people who thought, oh, you know, I walk away from that thinking that we can still do something this year. Yeah. I think most people were a bit more forgiving than I was. And you probably got some of that in the way I described it, but yeah, I just thought Melbourne were off in quite a lot of areas. Like, the effort was kind of there. Yeah. It just, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, they just didn't quite seem all there to no. me in a game. And you would ex- you would have expected them to be more dialed in for a game yeah. like this. Um, I, I think, yeah, for me, I was definitely disappointed. And I thought it's frustrating some of these things like not taking the chances and, uh, and yeah, not not getting enough forward pressure and things like that. But um, I was definitely more annoyed after some of our other losses this year, I thought. I thought uh, the Adelaide one was terrible, Collingwood terrible, uh, GWS terrible. Uh, this one, I don't know. I, I wasn't happy. I would have loved to have won it. But <laughs> I just kind of felt like, yeah, like I said before, I thought I don't think we lost it on effort. I thought we ran them pretty well and, and generally, generally matched them around the ground reasonably well not not as well as we could but reasonably um it's a top of the table clash and there's not much in it with these two teams i I kind of felt like we we could take something out of that i felt i mean i feel like you learn more from losses against the good teams than you do against the bad teams unfortunately we've had some against the bad teams but um with this one i just kind of feel like oh we've got we had some good things the effort was there and that but there's plenty of work to do as well, but we know now what, what it is. I feel like it. we know now. Um, I, this is going to sound silly, but I would have actually been really uncomfortable if we'd won twice against the Bulldogs and had to meet <laughs> up with them in the first week of the finals. Yeah. I know yeah. that's counting the chickens and nothing's even happened yet. We may not even make top four, but um, I don't, I don't know. I just think that it, it you know, maybe if we'd had one more win against a, a bad team, this one wouldn't have hurt as much. Perhaps, perhaps. So just a couple of things to finish on here before we move into a couple of true or falses. It's the same number of scoring shots. Melbourne, I think, 9-11. Bulldogs, 13-7. So quite wasteful there, particularly some of the early set shots that were missed were quite easy. Uh, and just in relation to that earlier game in the season, the Bulldogs found it very difficult to move the ball in that game, find any space at stoppage. It was almost a complete opposite this game. They were moving the ball relatively easily um, through whatever defensive structure Melbourne had, you know, up the ground. And uh, yeah, they had two extra players around stoppage. Melbourne was dropping two back. And usually it was Bontempelli and McRae free at those stoppages. Sometimes it was Daniel Free as well, his opponent not tracking him. So it's kind of what we talked about in the GWS game. Like, if a, if an opponent is so strong in a particular area, I, I why just you think you need a better... the advantage? Yeah, why are you giving them that? Like, you need a better plan for, than that. Like, okay, if you want to have one dropping back, that's fine. But it just seemed ludicrous to me 
the whole night to not make an adjustment on that. You could see that Melbourne were getting absolutely cut up around stoppage by Bond and Pally and McRae. So, like, yeah. Um, it, like, that's the definition of insanity to me. Yep. Like, you, the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. It's not going to happen. No, no. And I think we definitely uh, could tweak some of the the coaching strategies next time. I think, uh, fair enough, they sent Harms to Liberatore again. He did a great job last time. Fair enough, I understand that. Um, I, don't, I think Liber played a bit much better game this time. But um, I think it's it's silly to just completely ignore Bont. Um, I think there does come a time when you've got to you've got to send someone to him, and I think, yeah, that that was a bit silly. And Caleb Daniel as well, uh, just letting these guys roam free. It's it's it just sounds stupid, even hearing me <laughs> verbalize that. Like obviously, like it would be good to try and tag them, but it's not even tagging them. It's just actually making sure they're not completely by just, themselves. Just putting a body on them, getting an arm across them, <laughs> things like that. Yeah, it, it's just silly to uh. let Daniel sag off the back of the contest gathering the easy ball all the time i mean yeah like you could you could easily do this go back and look at the game and look at how many of their goals either came from stoppage or as a result of one of these sort of plays we're talking about they kicked 13 goals i'm guessing at least 10 of those goals were directly using these players who were basically left to roam free and you would kind of expect that but do you really want to be setting up for a game where it's kind of you're just giving it yep. to them in a certain way. Like if they're good enough, they're always going to be able to do that unless you're putting in like the hugest amount of pressure, which Melbourne wasn't able to do, I suppose. And the two Bond goals, that that's inexcusable, I think. I mean, look, you know, one it can happen once, but just it was lazy, I thought. Just leaving him in that space at, you know, right at the, at the front sort of thing, it's just silly. It's just silly. But, like, surely the players must know this. Like, the whole strategy is to be outnumbered in the midfield. So, like, do they not understand that if you're going to play that way, basically it means you need to be giving 100% effort. Otherwise, you know, it's just it just the whole thing doesn't if, work. If they're, <laughs> if they're playing that way in the midfield, giving up a number, I expect them to be completely accountable in a stoppage in their defensive 50. Like, yeah. I expect it's, that it's to be weird. the bread and butter. Like, there's no excuses at all. <laughs> do, yeah. do they really need to be dropping off two players, though? Like, surely one uh, is I enough. think two's ridiculous, personally. I think, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm not quite sure why it was like that. I mean, maybe they thought they could generate a bit more, uh, maybe some more dash off the back line. I'm not quite sure how that would have worked. But, yeah. Maybe it was through with the weather. Right. I don't know. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one. Not sure. I, I do have one question though for you, Dan. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I've definitely sort of been seeing a lot of people's opinions online and stuff like that, and there's a bit of talk going around that uh, one of Darren Burgess's tactics, the fitness coach at Melbourne, is that he tends to load a lot uh, in his you know fitness re- um, you know regimen late in mm-hmm. the season and then deload like a couple of weeks out from finals. Um, these players are looking gassed at the moment. Do, do you think that there's something to this? Like guys like Jordan, Jackson, uh, even Spargo, they look absolutely spent at the moment. They, they just look like they're running with like lead in their legs at the moment. <laughs> we can hardly build up a, a, any sp- speed at the moment, I find. Yeah, I think it's definitely a problem. There's a lot less of that sort of free-flowing play and some of these guys just need a rest, I think. You're right, but... I think there is probably something to what you're saying there with Burgess and the training program. It's, you know, if they can't get these last couple of wins to cement top four, then it's going to look pretty silly, isn't it? Yeah, and look, I'm definitely not in the business of telling Darren Burgess how to do his job, but um, yeah, it's just it seems like it's a it is a proven thing where they ease off. I think maybe two weeks before finals and. Uh, Mm. And you looked at a lot of those port sides that he worked at, and they did seem to start the seasons very well early and then just taper a little bit. Um, but yeah, look, I'm just wondering if that's the case, because especially as taxing as our game style is and how we just yeah. rely on pressure, we need our guys as fresh as possible, you know? And Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. So yeah, I think we might... I'll, I might see a few guys get managed. I, I actually wonder if maybe someone like Jackson could have a bit of a rest this week. Um, 
Yeah. yeah. I think they need to do it. They've been pretty unwilling to make changes throughout the whole year, so surely this is the time, but who knows with uh, what they've been doing in relation to that. Yeah, Goodwin hasn't been much of a rotation coach this year, but uh, yeah, look, it might be worth considering. All right, a couple of quick true or falses to finish, and uh, that'll be a wrap on our Melbourne morning session here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The winner of the D's and Dogs game was going to be in pole position to win the flag. True or false? Yeah, I'm going false for this because, um, I, I, honestly, this is kind of what I was alluding to before. Uh, I think there's a lot of danger in these top-of-the-table matches near the end of the season, sort of in the last mm. month. I'm not saying that this is what happened, but there is that that fear of showing your hand and maybe you do withhold a few things, tricks up your sleeves for the for the first week of the finals because, as we know, our final system, the top four all play each other. So I wonder sometimes if, if we get the best possible top-of-the-table clash when it happens at this part of the year. Um, mm. And I also mentioned before that if Melbourne won it, I don't know if that necessarily... I don't know if Melbourne would have had that much to gain out of winning. Obviously, we would have loved to have had that win in the bank and get closer to that top four position. But I just wonder if Melbourne's actually handling that front runner tag well at the moment. And yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I've just got these reservations about finishing top for some reason at the moment. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. And yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not actually sold. I wonder now that we've had one game each, it's one, one, the finals will be a rubber match. I just, yeah, I I don't. It was a very good win for the dogs, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think I think it's it's the games that matter that uh, decide the flag. Yeah, I'm going false here as well. A little bit of a different tact. I just think there's plenty of other sides who are in the hunt. So, yep, finishing top as we've alluded to is a guarantee of nothing. So the Bulldogs probably in poor position to finish top now. But really, does it really help you that much? compared to finishing second, third, or fourth? Yeah. I would say no, especially being a Melbourne team. Absolutely. So, yeah, I reckon false. And, uh, you know, the Dogs supporters will be happy, and uh, so they should be. But I don't think this game, provided Melbourne can make the top four, and that's still an if. That's the biggest, that's gonna the biggest have a, question. Yeah. is going to have a huge bearing on uh, what happens in September if they play each other again. And like you're saying, maybe it would actually be a benefit to Melbourne to actually have come in to this game and, you know, sussed a few things out and mm-hmm. not completely shown their hand. And maybe that was part of it. They, yeah, you never know. I don't, I don't never know. know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. Kind of already alluded to this, but Melbourne will finish in the top four. True or false? Oh, Plant your flag, Johnny. Look, I'm, I'm not, not going to dilly-dally too much of this. I'm going to go with the gut. I'll say true. I think that they'll probably... I'm feeling like it'll be something like fourth, maybe third. I think top two's probably out of the question. But I, I, I think they will. I think they'll show that their system has proven that they can get the job done. They'll get enough of those wins. I don't know. Don't ask me what those wins will be. <laughs> I don't think we'll win out. But, um, yeah, I think... They'll either end up in a position. This is what just I just feel like this is the Melbourne scenario. We'll either win those games that we need to, or we'll drop one of those games we need to, sweat nervously like Melbourne fans have always done about everything, and leave it to that last game in Geelong where somehow we just turn it on and, and get the result and make the top four. I, I, I'm not sure, but um, look, I, I'm going to say yes. I, I think this team's good enough to do it. All right. I don't know whether this is me doing the reverse jinx, but I'm going to go false here. <laughs> I would love to be doing the reverse jinx, by the way. <laughs> I just think the West Coast game is a real danger game. You can never count any interstate trip as a win or even like more than a 50-50. So that's the game for me. If they win that one, I think they'll finish top four. And if they lose, I don't think they will. I expect Brisbane and Sydney to keep coming with a rush. And I think Melbourne will finish on 15 and a half wins if they can't get it done against the Eagles and they'll probably end up finishing fifth or sixth. And uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> maybe, maybe reverse jinx. That's but grim. Maybe not. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, look, you're right though. That is the game for me as well. It's 
very ironic because there was a little game over there in Perth in late 2018 that uh, I don't think a lot of Melbourne fans forget that we managed to win and got into the finals for the first time in 12 years. There was one that happened a month later that we don't like to think about, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's a huge one, and it's no gimme by any stretch. Uh, Nick Nat looked really good on Saturday. Uh, that's going to be a massive challenge, I think, for Max, uh, especially if we're not going to make the most of Max's hitouts. Uh, <laughs> that was another problem on Saturday night. Uh, I think he had about 16% hitouts to advantage or something, or 20 mm, something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it looks like West Coast are going to run into some really hot form by the time that we play them there. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think you're right. That is the game. That's the one that should do it. Decide it. Circle that game, eh? Yes. All but right. I'm confident they the can bond? do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Good stuff. At least one of us is yes. confident. The bond is a shoe in for the brown low this year. True or false? True. That's it. nothing else to add Uh, there's another three votes on Saturday night Uh, I can't think of any other way that you wouldn't give him votes he he just covers all the criteria midfielder flash like flashy competitive contested ball just awesome he upped his goals this year too yeah upped his goals match winner that's it top four team Yeah. yeah, everything he does stands out, and like people do say, he turns it over a bit. But the kicks he goes for, ninety percent of players don't even go for no. those kicks. So <laughs> he's going to turn it over occasionally. But when it works, play yeah, well, it looks he's good. A, like he's a bit of a gunslinger, I guess, with his kicks. A little tiny bit of a gambler. But as you said, there's people that wouldn't even attempt those. Yeah, I reckon this is true. I would be very surprised if he doesn't take home the Brownlow medal, although. You know, it's the umpires and you can never quite count on uh, them to do exactly the logical thing. But I think this is too far gone and uh, it'll definitely be the boss. Who's the second favourite? I'm not even sure anymore. I know Oliver was up there for a while. I think Walsh is making a bit of a run. Petrarca has dropped down a little bit. There's a few, but uh, I think Bonapelli is way up front now on the predictions. I think that would be the case. All right, last one. Melbourne are now just one of six teams and nothing more. This is alluding to the top six, obviously. True or false? Uh, one of the top six teams, nothing more. As in, so, not anything special. Basically, yeah. Like There was this whole thing throughout the year that you know Melbourne was one of the best sides. They had this awesome system. It's really hard to break them down. I guess last six weeks especially, that's been dented a little bit and especially now with that, you know, what they have to do just to make the top four, it does just seem like they're another one mm. of the contenders rather than having elevated themselves above that status, at least to me. I, true I or false, to, what do you I reckon? have to say true. If we're talking about right now, I definitely have to say true. I mean, what's what's elevating this team above those teams and making them more special and them that much more of a chance to win the flag? I mean... Well, it, the only thing has been or was earlier in the season was the defensive system and the intensity and the pressure, but that's not there at the moment. So that's and that's look, that's still working to an extent and keeping us in mm. games. But that yeah. that's that gets you, in my opinion, that gets you there. That doesn't win the whole thing for you. I think the thing that wins for you is those moments of individual brilliance and taking opportunities and in front of goal and things like that. The bit of the magic. I, I'm not seeing a lot of magic with Melbourne at the moment. So how is, yeah, you look at Geelong. I mean, right now, I'm seeing a fair bit of magic and their ball movement, they're speeding it up when they need to and slowing down when they need to. I think, um, yeah, I think we are. We're just, a, we, and that's not a like a criticism, being just the top six team. It's good to be a top six team. Um, but right now, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the other thing is, Where's our finals experience right now compared to those other clubs in the in the top four and and eight? So, if anything, we're up against it. Yeah, it's definitely not going to be easy, and it never was. But yeah, I just think the pressure and intensity is so linked to everything they're trying to do, both in the forward half and the back half. And when it's not there, then they are just another one of the, the better teams. Exactly. I think that is their point of difference. And if they can't generate that, 
in uh, the games that matter. I don't think they're going to cause too many problems no. in the finals. But on the flip side of that, if they can generate that in the finals, then there's pretty much no team I would fear. Yeah, so that'd be very hard. It really to stop. does all hinge on, you know, how whether they can basically get back that game style they had early in the season and uh, take their chances we've been talking about, have a little bit more of that spark, yeah. the the running for each other. It's a bit more zest, a little bit more cutting edge mm. in the forward line. And yeah, I mean, it could be something. You could say this for any team, I guess. Not not yeah, these exact I, things, but you could say no. there's an extra 5% or whatever that would, that would make the difference. Yeah. Yeah, I guess just the way Melbourne sets up, you can. It's just so blatantly obvious the difference between when it's working and when it's not. I suppose. <laughs> and the other thing is, it is becoming predictable. <laughs> I mean, do sides are sides going to fear us if they know exactly what to prepare for? I, I wonder about that at the moment. Do we need to change the look of the midfield just a tiny bit? Like, um, you know. James Jordan's been fantastic this year, but should he have a little bit of a spell maybe on the wing or half forward and maybe, like I'm just splitting his here, but maybe someone like Brayshaw take more centre bounces. Just, yeah, something like that maybe. Um, we don't run super deep in our midfield. Um, no. But yeah, I'm just wondering, maybe we've got to do some things that'll keep keep the opposition guessing. I don't think we will, but Does yeah. make me wonder... <laughs> Does make me wonder whether they might target another midfielder in the off season. Possible. I think they could use one extra midfielder, even if they're not like an absolute star, but it might just be able to add to that mix that we've got there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. All right. Well, I think that's about all we've got. Thanks for jumping on the line, Johnny. No worries. Always a pleasure. Be interesting to see what happens from here. We're counting down to the finals yeah. and uh, plenty of meaningful games to come and uh, ones that are going to sort out who plays who in the finals. So plenty to look forward to. Yeah, interesting month ahead. Thanks again for listening, guys. Enjoy the footy. Bye for now. Bye for now.